This is Passing for Normal, conversations about change. That means conversations about hope, innovation, transformation, courage, activism, and being on the cutting edge. I'm your host, Sharon Weil, and here I speak with fascinating, pioneering change makers across many different fields. We talk about how to make change, meet change, and find the courage to create change in your life and in the larger world around you. Bringing new ideas into the mainstream, that's Passing for Normal. Hello and welcome to Passing for Normal, where today we're going to talk about new models for medicine, health, and healing with my guest, Dr. Anna O'Malley. Anna O'Malley is pushing the edge of the medical model by connecting people and their health to community and to the natural world. She is an integrative family and community medicine physician and the founder and director of the Natura Institute for Ecology and Medicine in Bolinas, California. Set in the beautiful Commonweal Garden, Natura offers many programs for guiding people towards health and wholeness, supported by the relationship to nature. So welcome, Anna. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so happy to be talking to you. Um, You hold such a wonderful vision for what medicine can and needs to be. Um, You have an overly full medical practice as a community doctor in West Marin. You're a mother of two fabulous girls, and now you've created this healing education center at the Natura Institute. How and why? Uh. Well, I am I am completely enlivened by the opportunities to change and to, to turn away from those systems that are are depleting and not life sustaining in the in the bigger picture, and moving toward those that are regenerative and restorative and and lead us into balance with the natural world and within our own beings. And it is true that I I have a, a very full life. And there is something that's, that's uh, very beautiful and supportive of working for change. Yeah. So, so the, the reason for this, you know, as, as a practicing physician, you know, I, I work at a community health center, which I, I feel very, very passionately about access to medicine for all human beings, regardless of their ability to pay. I do believe that that is a human right. And so I'm very happy to be doing primary care in the community in which I live. And, and I believe that that's a very important thing for me to keep my foot solidly in that realm. And as, as you mentioned, I'm an integrative medicine physician, and many of my integrative and functional medicine colleagues have made the very understandable decision to leave the system uh, because it's, it's pretty depleting and challenging to be seeing a lot of patients, you know, it's very common to be seeing at least 20 patients a day in a oh busy primary gosh. care practice, and mm. that's moving very quickly, and uh, and that is challenging both for the person who is coming into the, the clinic or for the exchange with the, the, the healing exchange with the healthcare provider, and it's also very challenging for the healthcare provider, the physician or, or other allied health practitioner to be able to hold space for all that a complicated being, you know, human beings are complex, precious, unique individuals that have many different facets and, and attributes that lead toward health or health challenge. And so, so for me to 
experience the, the challenge of being in the system and to feel stuck there, you know, that, that is a, a greater challenge than navigating uh, the stuckness, you know, than, than the opportunity to, to animate uh, a new possibility for how we can be in relationship with our patients and with the natural world and remembering that there is no separation at all between our patients and uh, between ourselves, really, our, our beings and the natural world. And also to remember that, that we as healers, we come from this, this lineage that often we forget that, that the healers have always been in right relationship with the natural world that's essential for accessing the deep medicine. And we've, we've become a little disconnected from that, and there are many reasons for that. But at this planetary moment, it seems that it is, it is imperative for us to be reconnecting with the natural world, reconnecting with those ways that are restorative and, and health-supportive and on all the levels. So what do you mean by being in relationship to the natural world or being supported by the natural world? Is it about walking through the forest? Is it about spending time at the beach? What is, what is, there's a depth to which you are referring and I I would like you to speak more about it. Mm-hmm. Well, we have, we have these, the gates of into, into our beings that are our senses that, that by being outside and, and being fully present in the natural world, meaning uh, not on our screen or um, even necessarily chatting on the phone, but, but being outside and being fully present and how the sun is feeling on our skin and the, the quality of the light as it hits the leaves and, and the smells that the leaves that, that the trees are giving off, those volatile aromatic oils that we know have immune-supporting and cancer-fighting properties, to, to have a, a tenderness arise as we see, as I, I saw yesterday, a, a little brown bat napping in the afternoon under the eaves, and to, to just appreciate that we are not alone here in this, we human beings in this natural world, and, and far from not being alone, we're actually, uh, we're not the most important, we're not the top of the, the heap, we are, we are just another species making our home here on this beautiful planet, and to, to remember that, that interrelatedness, and, and both through appreciation of the beauty, and in what we're eating and what we're drinking, and also how we are giving back, how we're tending the earth. And we know that you know, from, there's a lot, a lot of research in mental health and depression, anxiety, that when we are in attending or volunteering relationship with other human beings, but also with the earth or with an animal, being in that tending relationship is very good for us. And it also, it also invites us to remember that the earth is not here for us to extract from and to, to commodify and to over and over again take without giving back that, that we uh, are, are benefited and enlivened by, by being in that reciprocal relationship with the earth. Right. I have heard you speak about the power of connection or the medicine of connection, whether it's being in connection with another individual, a human's community, being in connection with, like you say, um, with the, the, your surroundings, that there is actual health benefits to that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
And what are they? I mean, reducing stress. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we, we human beings are social creatures. We, we have evolved intelligence. We have evolved to, uh, there's a survival advantage to being connected to our community members so that, um, back in the day, not that, well, both not that long ago and very long ago, uh, that when when there were things like attacks from neighboring villages or saber-toothed tigers, that we had the protection of our, our friends and neighbors, and that being on the outside of that village was our, our nervous system is constantly surveilling our environment for possible threat uh, to our survival. And being alone, being isolated from our village, uh, you know, back in you know, a lot, many thousands of years ago, that may have literally, literally have been being cast out from the village or for, for whatever reason, being on the outskirts. Uh, but nowadays, we're in this epidemic of social isolation where many, many people don't have a single person that they can identify that they can call and confide in or mm. have a meaningful conversation. You know, many people are, are leading very isolated existences and that isolation is extremely stressful. Um, they say that it's, it's on par with smoking a pack of cigarettes a day as far as risk to one's health because mm-hmm. of what it does with stress hormones. And we know that uh, when our when our sympathetic fight or flight nervous system is activated, which releases a number of stress hormones, which creates inflammation uh, in various parts of our body, including in the lining of our blood vessels, but that increases our risk of having a heart attack or a stroke. It also increases our risk of depression and anxiety. And the other thing that I'm really tracking and interested in right now is the shocking rise in rate of suicide, yeah. um, especially with our young people. Yes. And there are there are financial and economic reasons for this, but a lot of it is because we are isolated and we don't have someone to talk to and and someone that knows how to deeply and responsively listen, which is probably the most important thing in, in suicide prevention and it's certainly important as as social creatures that we have someone to talk to. And you know, for young people, part of the the significant challenge is the amount of time on, spent on social media and on digital platforms and on screens, which gives the, the appearance of connection. And there That's is right. some level of connection, but it, there, there are a lot of other uh, really challenging things about social media, especially for adolescents who are navigating self-image and self-worth and separation from, from family and parents, you know, that, that developmentally appropriate work of being an adolescent. But when you're doing it surrounded by... Uh, you know, potential, as they say, trolls on social media or people who are cyberbullying. It's it's really a, a fraught and uh, anxiety-producing place for people to be trying to connect and thwarted in the in the literature on social on suicide. Thwarted social connection is one of the the risk factors of. De- developing that sort of depression that leads people to uh, make that decision, and that's where you're trying to connect, but um, it is it is thwarted for some reason or another, and that happens again and again on social media. So, so back to to your question, that the being in the presence of another human being who knows how to listen, and, and listening is 
not just waiting for your turn to talk. <laughs> right. <laughs> Being present and making eye contact. And there's this entrainment, this um, electrochemical thing, this electromagnetic thing that, that human beings do that's beyond our conscious awareness, that being in the presence of another human being, making eye contact, attuning to their facial expressions, their body position, their, uh, the way they respond to what you say, that, that creates all sorts of, uh, especially if it's, po- if it's positive, it creates all sorts of beautiful neurohormonal release uh, in, in the brain, oxytocin, and other positive beneficial hormones that support a feeling of connectedness and breakdown sense of isolation. All these things happen that uh, also attune or, or stimulate the parasympathetic rest and digest or rest and relaxation nervous system, which uh, creates a lot of health supportive conditions all the way down to the genetic level. Uh, so, so it is. We human. It's like a. It's like a balm for our our physiological and emotional and social and spiritual well being to be in that connectedness with another human being. And you you don't get that on in the digital interface. In fact, people don't have to take responsibility for the way in which their comments on Facebook, for example, how they land for another human being. They can just take a shot and walk away without having any any feedback uh, from the human being that they just, you know, so-called interacted with. Right, that that idea of feedback is so important. You know, all the all the ways in which you listed the effects of how how different kinds of feedback either nourishes us or or triggers us in certain ways. And is it not true also for the natural world? These same electromagnetic fields exist between plants with one another. You know, talking about the communication of of, of trees and of plants with one another and with us. We do get mm-hmm. feedback from the natural world as well that has some of those same calming principles, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's it's different for each each being, but it is interesting that when you think about how do, how have human beings known how to use different plants for medicine and and how they would see was it was it just trial and error? Or no, I'm always wondering. Under- I'm always wondering that. Like, who was the first person who discovered an avocado, or who was the first person right. who thought I can eat this or I cannot eat that? Right. And there are certain observations that, that human beings no doubt made with the animal world, and, and there probably was a, a good amount of trial and error. But when you think about you know, herbal, herbal medicine and how people intuited the ways these, medic- these plant medicines could be used, uh, it does seem, and, and many people have had direct experience with this, people who are herbalists or who are tuned to, to plants, that there is a form of nonverbal communication that that we humans can attune ourselves to, uh, and that's that's with animals and with plants. And I know it sounds it sounds far out there, not but to we me, human beings have <laughs> not to you, yeah. yeah. There's, we we have uh, we have such an incredible capacity yeah. for attunement that we have. Uh, we haven't been using, and so those parts of our of our capacities have been uh, have 
become a little more limited, but they're still there. They're still there. So it's it's a matter of, of getting quiet and opening to possibility, quieting the mind and bringing oneself into a receptive attunement and, and with curiosity and seeing what happens. And it is, it's remarkable when, when you can sit quietly under a tree. I mean, there's, as I mentioned, there are all sorts of um, interesting things that are happening from in the, in the, in the, the leaves and the oils that are being released. And especially on a, it's a pretty warm day here right now. And if you go outside, you can smell the trees and, and that, that scent is because of the, it's the oils that the trees are releasing that have their own antibiotic purposes and, and uh, tree supporting purposes. But there's also a benefit to the, the creatures that are around the tree. So I, I'm, I'm very interested in the notion of ecology, both on uh, the natural systems perspective, like how do, how do beings interact with one another uh, and how do we as natural living creatures within an ecosystem, how are we ecologically related to, like for example, the beneficial bacteria that are in the soil and the, uh, all of the amazing phytochemicals that are in the foods that we, we can grow and eat and, and how are nutrients being passed back and forth and, and how, how are plants communicating with each other because they are. It's at a different pace and in a different style, but, but trees communicate with each other and they communicate with the other living creatures around them as well. And, you know, we, we human beings, we don't even know, talking with someone the other day, we don't, we don't know the half of it, but I think it's, it's less than, it's far less than not knowing the half of it. Like who, who can say? We don't know the billionth of, of what's really going on in the natural world. There's such a brilliant elegance that is underpinning it all. And the, I, from my perspective, the more we can humble ourselves to it and get curious and bring ourselves into that awe and wonder and reverent state of appreciation, uh, the better. With our own bodies as well, because, you know, the same, uh-huh. the same, you know, our bodies are no separate from the rest of the natural world and are in total interacted, or interaction with the natural world. So I know that one of, of the things that is important in creating a new model for medicine and health is the idea of, of my participation in my own health you know, and not necessarily relying on the doctor to give me a pill and give me an answer and it's all about fixing me. Um, That my participation in my own health, my attunement, as you say, my awareness of even what's going on with me inside, what are are the sensations of my symptoms, what is the state of my well-being. So how do you work with people in helping them to become greater participants in their own health and well-being? It's a great question. And so, so much of, so many of the expenditures, the tremendous expenditures that we pay in our healthcare system or chronic disease management system, however you want to, to look at it, do go to managing chronic diseases. And by many estimates, Upwards of 75% of those costs are, are treating illnesses and conditions that are reversible with attention to lifestyle. And we also know that 
probably only 10 to 15% of an individual's wellness, well-being, or health has anything to do with that which is done in the setting of a clinic or a doctor's office or the healthcare setting in general. And that the, the vast majority of our health is informed by the conditions in which we live our lives and the, the choices that we make every single day. So this is hugely important and it has great societal import. You know, we're, we're, our healthcare costs are escalating, baby boomers, boomers are aging, and we also have an epidemic of childhood obesity, nationwide obesity, I don't know, for all ages, but, you know, increasingly in our, our children, which means that people are going to start having their diabetes diagnosis much earlier and having heart attacks at a much earlier age and strokes, and that's both expensive and also tragic on a human level. And, and a lot of this is informed by the, the choices that we make which, if we are vulnerable to those uh, consumerist messages out there, and there, of course, as we know, we're, we're swimming in a sea of, of predatory consumerist <laughs> advertising and, and that strategies, you know, undermining our own self-image and self-worth and telling us that we need to eat more do, or, you know, buy this or buy that, which, of course, is terrible for our planet and it's terrible for us. And the more that we consume, particularly those packaged processed foods, the, the worse our health gets, the higher, the, the larger we become and the less nourished we are and the more uh, vulnerable to or, or the more disease we experience. And so, so it's really important and, and it is up to us to, to listen to our own symptoms, our own bodies, and to get curious about what is it that you know, leads me to feel, say, anxious or depressed? And what are the, the links between, like, what, what, if I could slow the time scale way down, what happens between a stressful conversation, my feeling bad and, and anxious or lonely, and then the move to the refrigerator or the cabinet where I might find something that perhaps could maybe not, not to be there in the first place, but there it is. You know, so how do we how do we get curious about about the, these patterns of behavior and how can we be in a in a deeply loving relationship with ourselves so that we feel complete and not in that vulnerable, which means woundable, I guess from a from a Latin etymological perspective, being vulnerable, like we are at risk of being wounded by um, by the forces out there that that want us to continue to be good consumers, which is it's bad for our health. And so the more we can we can be feeling whole and and complete through relationships with with loved ones and with our pets and with the natural world and with our food and in a really nourishing, uh, sensual, mindful sort of a way in a slow, you know, there, there are many, many things that we can do that can enhance our experience of the present moment that, and, and bringing curiosity to those patterns of behavior can uh, shift, you know, in a long-term sustainable fashion our behaviors that, that might be harming our health and, and certainly the health of the planet. So it's the willingness to change our habits. 
Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Which doesn't That's always come easy part. for people. <laughs> I know it doesn't always come easy for people, right? I don't want to give up my mm-hmm. whatever it is, my coffee, my mm-hmm. Cheetos, my sugary things. Um, it's hard, mm-hmm. especially when people are raised with these things as their comfort foods, right? This is what mm-hmm. home means, what, you know, the associations that people make with different foods and therefore... Um, uh, it feeds their emotions or it soothes their emotions depending upon what is going on. Um, but that's what it is. Um, so many people have doctors who do not think like you do. They do not approach it as you do. And so what does somebody do if they are more aligned with the approach to medicine that you are, but they don't live in an area where they have access to, to that kind of thinking or that kind of um, approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I honestly believe that many people who go into medicine, and certainly those people who go into family medicine, go into it, go into medical school with this deep, beautiful belief in the, the ability to become a guide toward health and to be supportive of health and healing. And so, and, and actually, you know, integrative medicine is actually really good family medicine, really good primary care uh, in that, we're, we're paying attention to the whole person, mind, body, spirit, and an eco, the ecological self. Unfortunately, our, our, the system in which most doctors and other um, healthcare providers are, are practicing in is, uh, doesn't allow for a lot of time and depth of, of connection. And so and my, my practice included, I, you know, I work at a federally qualified health center, a community health center. I have it better than most in that I uh, see between 16 and 18 patients a day. It's still much more than, than I would love. But so, so one of the things that, that I'm doing in that increasingly integrative medicine providers, there's, there's a, an organization called Integrative Medicine for the Underserved, I Am For Us. And underserved meaning that uh, we are providers that work within the community health center setting, uh, often in the urban underserved environment or in, in more remote underserved environments. But basically, we're, we're practicing a style of, of integrative medicine that is within the system and that is uh, not in, you know, the um, more boutique or, or um, cash-only practices that can be really expensive and out of reach for many people. That's um, that's wonderful. Big groups, it is really wonderful. Uh, so so that well, so two things I'd like to say there. You know, one is that part of the work here in the garden is to do things in groups. And as you know, I, there's a, a program called the Art of Vitality, in which one of the the models that that I'm interested in exploring and spreading that is outside of the system that leverages social connection and deep connection to nature and weaves integrative medicine and spiritual psychology into uh, this a circle of individuals who are, who are uh, exploring this, these questions and how 
self and manifest that which we, we want to manifest in the world, which requires being awake and alive and, and having good energy and being nourished. And the other thing that, that we're doing here is the community medicine circles, and this is in collaboration with my community health center, the Coastal Health Alliance, and which on a monthly basis we do integrated medicine circles for two hours each, followed by a, a potluck and a chef demonstration linked to the topic. This uh, this Wednesday, we're going to be looking at gastrointestinal health, and we also do cardiovascular health and women's health, and you know the, all of the, the different topics and weaving it into the, the ecological consciousness. So that's, that's what's happening here, and I know that there are many, many places where there are more and more there are integrative medicine practitioners in different settings that are attuned to this. And it is it's my belief that in addition to being really good integrative medicine physicians caring for the, the needs of the human being, the precious human being that, that is seeking our counsel, that we will ever more increasingly be making the links between the health of our body and the health of the planet, that we will be infusing ecological awareness into our practices so that we can appeal. And, and this for me, like when I, when I think about what's going to change my behavior, it's often I, I am motivated by uh, care for something greater than myself, like yes. the needs of my children yes. or the needs of the planet. And it, it is easier for me to limit buying things and packaging, not just because I know it's, it's, it's crappy garbage and it's going to make, make me feel bad, and my body doesn't know what to do with it, and it's going to create inflammation. I know all those things, but when I also think, like, oh, wow, and plastic, you know, where is that, where's the way, where's, where's that plastic going to go? Oh, perhaps into the ocean, and then it's going to be there for, you know, over a thousand years and dunk up various other precious things. That helps me um, in, in moving into right relationship with, with nourishment when I think about how it's impacting the our greater body of the earth yeah because our body the earth's body it's all you know there are practices that benefit both at the same time and there are practices that are um detrimental to both at the same time Mm -hmm. yeah and limiting consumption is it, it must be said that we we need to rein in our unbridled consumerist impulses and and turn away from those those sources that are telling us to eat more and buy more things because we do not live we have, we have a finite number of resources available to us and and also the more we, we consume one of the one of the best things that we can do for our house is to eat to the point of satiety like eighty percent of all and then stop. And that's our, our culture just tells us to consume more and more. And uh, the more we can listen to the needs of our being and remember that, you know, food waste, food waste is it's a, it's a tragic situation that so many people are starving in this world and in our country. And, and then we have this, this huge, it's an ecological challenge too, food waste going into the landfill. Not only is it inhumane that so many people are going without food and then we're throwing a bunch of food away. It also creates methane gas when it goes into the landfill. And and could be going back into into the earth and nourishing the soil in the form of compost or, or feeding creatures. So you know, seeing seeing ourselves in 
in a whole system, you know, the way we do and uh, when people are, are practicing regenerative agricultural systems or in, in permaculture and, and you know, the, the things that, that people have been doing for a long, long time, including our indigenous uh, relatives who, you know, have, have had this, this appreciation of the imperative of reciprocity for a very, very long time. Yeah, so seeing ourselves, our bodies as a whole system in as part of a larger whole system and that that's all of all of the system needs to flow, needs to work, needs to be mm-hmm. reciprocated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. In- including, I just want to say this really quickly, um, our, our, here in California, I live in California, uh, we have often we're often in a drought and and we have this precious precious resource that will be ever increasingly a precious resource which is water and clean water and that we can drink and that we can uh, bathe in and that we are uh, using to flush our waste product down the the into away, you know, into, uh-huh. into the waste treatment centers. And so for us to be, to also be thinking about what are we doing, what are we doing with our waste? How, how can we be in a, in a whole, in, integrated into our systems when we're doing such an insane thing, which is um, excreting, like putting our excrement into drinking water and then flushing away, as opposed to, you know, what, what people have done for a long time, which is using composting toilets of, of various sorts and um, and then creating uh, something that actually is of benefit to the system. There's, of course, a lot that could be said about that, and there's some complexity about that, but it's, I think, important for us to be thinking about what we could be doing with our waste products. Yes, what we can do with our waste products and how we can preserve our precious drinking water. Yeah, Which brings us back around to pharmaceuticals, because there's, there's so many pharmaceuticals that we collectively are taking and that go some of them are metabolized by our liver and kidneys but many of them are flushed out of our system intact into our wastewater system and uh, many many drugs are not removed by the wastewater system treatment systems and so we have in our rivers in our streams in our ocean a lot of pharmaceuticals, including estrogens and antipsychotics and antidepressants and blood pressure medications and statin medications and things that that affect us. We are large creatures, and they also affect the much smaller creatures. So again, this is this is seeing ourselves as part of the whole, that the more we can bring ourselves into right relationship and need fewer and fewer medications, which is not to say that uh, there, there are some, some conditions that really aren't reversible just with, with diet, exercise, and lifestyle. And I do believe in, in uh, prescribing medication judiciously, very judiciously. Uh, but we want to take responsibility for making that big choice to, to use the pharmaceutical because it gets out into the system and it's creating reproductive challenges for fish and for frogs, and there's uh, yes. a, lot of, a lot of downstream effects from our pharmaceutical use. Yeah. So we need to take very good care and have lots of awareness and attunement, as you say. 
So Anna, mm-hmm. I could talk to you forever, and um, <laughs> um, but our time has come to a close. So before wow. we end, I really want you to tell our listeners how they can find you and the Natura Institute and take advantage of the programs that you offer. So please let us know. Mm, so you can go to our website, which is at www. Natura Institute, and that's N-A-T-U-R-A-I-N-S-T-I-T-U-T-E, naturainstitute.org, and you can find programs listed there under offerings. We have our, our fourth Art of Vitality program will be starting in the fall, and that's a, a lovely experience for, for people who are, uh, well, local to local to Marin County or Northern California, uh, or people come from beyond there as well. And then we also have permaculture programs, and, and uh, I, I'm really excited about creating connections between the permaculture world and the, the healing world, it's, you know, and there are, there are many already. So you can, you can find all the programs there, and we also have garden tours and volunteer work days and opportunities to just come and check out what's happening here in the garden, which is a, it's a beautiful, beautiful place, and a lot of, a lot of lovely things happening here. Full moon fire circles happen every full moon. The next one's on Monday. Well, here we are, June seventeenth. So, so do do check us out and and come visit. Wonderful. So much healing takes place and growth internally and mm-hmm. externally takes mm-hmm. place in that garden. So, Anna, blessings mm-hmm. to you for all of the work that you're doing and what you are bringing to people's awareness. Um, in terms of their health and their relationship to the whole. So I thank you. Mm. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you. This has been Passing for Normal, Conversations About Change. If you like our podcast, please leave a review on iTunes or SoundCloud. It helps our audience to grow. To find out more about author Sharon Weil, go to SharonWeilAuthor.com. You can also find out more about the Changeability books and about all the guests featured in this podcast at that website. Large or small, go out today and make a brave change. Dare to bring new ideas forward. Our world needs you right now.